Hello and welcome to Completely and Utterly True Stories, Cuts for short. This episode was recorded at the Anderson Career Center. I'm your host, Ethan Martin, and today's story is called Jagged Janus, written by Born Beach on Reddit. Today's special guest is Thomas Hudson from the Geek Bros, where they talk about their favorite movies, video games, and songs. I would definitely recommend them. You can check them out on Spotify or at buzzsprout.com. This episode is going to be an interesting one, so sit back, relax, and enjoy. If you see a woman with a serrated smile, you need to read this as a matter of life and death. I'm a government employee. My name isn't important. All you need to worry about is what I have to say. I work at a compound known as the facility. Within it, we perform research on things the public would find unappetizing. Officially, we're listed under experimental weapons development, but lately our umbrella has spread much wider. Suffice it to say that there are things out there that go bump in the night. Things both legendary and mundane that exert their influence upon us and defy explanation. My job is to interview the individuals who believe they've encountered such entities and determine the validity of their experiences. This is one such interview. The room is cramped, dimly lit, and smells vaguely of stale piss and black mold. A light hangs above the table between us, rocking back and forth and doing a poor job illuminating much of anything. Still, I can see the man's face in the fields on my clipboard. It's enough. It'll do. I ask the man to tell me his story, and it begins. It happened when I visited her cabin, the man says. He's 29, with a long nose and five o'clock shadow. When he reaches for a cigarette, his hand shakes. Not my cabin. It belonged to her, but she invited us, the three of us, up there. I make a note on my clipboard. Four individuals. To get away from it all? He nods, taking a heavy drag on the smoke. Yeah, something like that. Get drunk, get stoned, forget life for a while. He swallows, and his eyes dart to the cameras in the corner of the room. He scratches his cheek anxiously. It's a look I've seen before. It's better if you tell me everything, I say, placing my clipboard on the desk between us. Strictly speaking, I am not law enforcement. I'm not here to have you arrested. Sure, he says. Another long drag. He taps a finger on the desk. We were doing shrimps too. At least Stephen and I were. That's fine. I check a box on my clipboard labeled intoxicated. Tell me about the event. It happened late at night. The four of us had been drinking in the, in the cabin, but we all slept outside in tents. You know, less spiders to deal with. The cabin wasn't exactly lived in year-round, so a lot of bugs would make their home in it over winter and spring. Just to confirm, you use the mushrooms while drinking? I study my pencil on the form on the box beside intoxicated that reads disqualified. That's a combination inviting hallucinations. Look, it wasn't a hallucination, all right? The man sees for a moment, clenches his hands into a fist while his lips make a thin line. Then he takes a breath and regains his composure. Sorry, he says. Thinking about that night puts me on edge. Understandable, I say. 
Such reactions are to be expected after witnessing an event. Now then, if you wouldn't mind clarifying my earlier question, did you consume the mushrooms while drinking? He shakes his head. No, the mushrooms happened several hours earlier. They weren't even a factor when... He trails off, his eyes gazing at the ashtray on the table between us. There's an emptiness to them, a sort of disconnect. I wonder if he's thinking of the legend I suspect that he's encountered. I wonder if he's thinking of Jagged Janus. I clear my throat. They weren't a factor when the event occurred? Yeah, they'd worn off by then. You're positive. He gives me a look of disbelief. No, I'm lying for the fun of it. Yes, I'm positive. Aggressive behavior, I remind him, will not be tolerated. He opens his mouth and words hang there for a moment. I've done enough of these interviews to know that there's more he wants to say. Or maybe yell. He doesn't, though. Instead, he takes another breath, leans back in his chair, and apologizes. Look, he says, I know what I'm going to tell you is going to make me sound crazy, or high, or whatever else. I promise you, though, it happened. And seeing as you're the only one who came to me for this interview, the least you could do is listen. I nod. Of course. Entirely reasonable. I circle the word I write on my form. What are you writing? The man asks, leaning forward. He narrows his eyes at my clipboard as I pull it away. Why won't you show me? It's against protocol. Your knowledge of my notes could influence your account. I'd prefer if your biases were avoided. Now please continue. He licks his lips. They're chapped and cracked. Fine. He says. Like I said, we were drinking in the cabin. Swapping old stories from high school. Talking about stupid pranks we used to pull. Or places we'd all hang out. Or crappy teachers we hated. You know, we reminisced. His finger taps on the table. Pretty soon, we got really drunk. The sort of drunk where you stop goofing off and things go deeper. We started talking about our hopes and dreams, about our past and futures. You know, the kind of stuff that sets your soul on fire. That's very poetic, I say. Are you a writer? Sometimes. As such, would you describe yourself as having an active imagination? He sighs and shakes his head. I'd describe myself as in the middle of speaking. Thanks. I press my pencil to the clipboard, undetermined. So we're all drinking, he continues. And Emily gets really low all of a sudden, like mood-wise. She seems down. Emily being the woman who inherited the cabin? He nods. We ask her what's up, not to be pushy or anything, but just like, as friends, you know? I mean... We've known each other for over ten years. At this point, we care about each other. What does she tell you? He looks down, and there's a melancholy in his expression. She tells us why she never invites us out there before. I scratch a note on the form, straightening up in my chair. That reason being? Her brother died there when they were kids. He drowned to death in the ocean. I frown. It doesn't match the legend. Anything else? He glares at me. Are you serious? Anything else? Yeah, that's it. Her brother died, and the place reminds her of him. A sad story, but not why we're here. I check a box labeled confrontational. Please continue. He takes a few minutes to think about it. His jaw is clenched, and his eyes are boring into me. Eventually, he takes another drag, breathes out a plum of smoke, and speaks. Like I said, we were drinking, talking. 
But like all good things, it comes to an end. Emily stops first. She decides she's ready to head to bed, that she's had enough to drink. So she heads back to the tent. That leaves me, Stephen, and Haley. Haley passed out on the couch, and Stephen and I chat for another couple of hours. But eventually, we both decide it's time to get some shut-eye, too. I nod. So far, nothing mentioned warrants the facility's involvement. But I'm keeping an open mind. The police report sounded like Janice, after all. According to the police report, I say, rolling my pencil in my fingers, the cabin is where the event occurred. Can you describe it for me? The layout? Uh, sure. He scratches the back of his head and furrows his brow. His pupils dilate and focus as though recalling a memory. Sort of T-shaped, capital T. Got two bedrooms on either side of the T, with the bathroom at top center. Then there's a living area in the front of the bathroom. And finally, at the bottom of the T, is the kitchen and the front door. You said the event occurred in the washroom, correct? He takes another drag of his cigarette, burning it down to the filter. His eyes are bloodshot. You got any more of these? He asks. I reach inside my jacket and pull out a pack, then toss it to him. He eagerly flips it open, slips the smoke out and lights it. So the four of you get into your tents. What happens next? He shrugs. I read my book. Your book? Yeah, Miss Sworn. Ever read it? I shake my head. I don't care for fantasy. What happens after you read the book? Nature calls. I gotta take a crap. So I get up and head to the cabin. It's pitch black outside when I, when I unzip my tent. I can't even see my feet on the ground. Pitch black? Or had your eyes not simply adjusted yet? Pitch black. He says flatly. The cabin's on a tiny island off the coast of British Columbia. The only light it gets is the moon. Maybe the stars. That night it was overcast, so the moonlight came and went with the clouds. You carried a flashlight then? He shakes his head. No, just my phone. I used its light to make my way to the cabin. Once I get inside, I shut the door behind me, and I get a weird feeling. Can you describe the feeling? Like I'm being watched. Promising. Continue. The place feels empty, lonely. It's just me, the spiders, and my phone. The light's making shadows out of everything. The dusty fridge, the messy shelves, and the cluttered counters. There's a thousand shapes all around me shifting as I watch. And this feeling of, I don't know, dread comes over me. Like I'm not safe. He clears his throat. <clears throat> but I'm drunk enough that the feeling doesn't do much to faze me. I shake it off. I laugh a little. I came to take a crap, and some spooky shadows aren't going to stop me, right? I guess they call it liquid courage for a reason. A few seconds later, though, I'm in the bedroom, locking the door behind me. His leg's bouncing under the table, and it's shaking the top of it. Would you like a glass of water? I ask, pouring him a cup. He waves a hand dismissively. I'm all right. He says, but he reaches across and takes a sip anyway. So, I'm about to unbuckle and do my business, and I see movement. It's in the top corner of the bathroom, in one of those little toilet windows, like the type that's clouded on the bottom for privacy, but clear on the top 
to what and why you. I've seen those. I say, nodding. I have one in my bathroom. Is that where the event occurred? He nods, running a hand through his dark hair. That's where I saw the smile. Jagged Janice. Describe it, please. He shakes his head. I'd rather not. Can we just discuss the event? The smile is a part of the event. I remind him. It's important that we get as many details as possible, no matter how uncomfortable those memories may be. He looks down, and his eyes drift out of focus. He's remembering it. The smile. It was a row of teeth. Except the teeth weren't too big and too sharp to belong to a human. And there were just so many of them. I looked down at my notes. I read over the description of Jagged Janice, as mentioned in old email chains from the early 2000s. I'd like to hear more about our teeth. He bites his lip. Teeth? Why? The teeth are important. Describe them, please. He's uncomfortable. His voice cracks and his chest sighs, but he gives me what I want. The teeth were jagged. Serrated, almost. Their length was all over the place. Some barely broke her gums. The others stretched down, piercing her bottom lip. His fingers move again. They're tapping on the metal table. When I see the smile, my heart starts pounding. I'm frozen there, standing in the dark bathroom, with just the light from my phone, my mind reeling. But I know whoever that smile belongs to, I don't want them to see me. So I hold my phone to my chest and extinguish the light. Did the woman showcase an adverse reaction to the light? Janice, according to her legend, loathed light. No. Or... I don't know, maybe. I can't remember small details. He's sweating now, his eyes transfixed on the cigarette burning low between his fingers. At that point, my body's mostly just adrenaline. I felt a storm of it coursing through me, screaming at me. To run, or fight, or do something, anything. But I can't. I, I just stand there. Staring at her inhuman teeth, at her horrible, twisted smile, my phone clutched to my chest like a Christian cross. Then the smile begins to fade away, lowering itself till it's obscured by the foggy part of the glass. In its place are two eyes. He takes a breath. They're wide angled all wrong and leaking back fluid. They dart around the washroom as if looking for something or somebody. I stay still, paralyzed. There's no light, save from moon framing the monster in the window. So I melt into darkness. I pray to God the creature can't see me there. I feel dribbles of piss run down my leg. I'm panicking now, completely. I'm losing control of my body. He shivers, taking another long, slow drag on a cigarette. Then, I hear a tap on the window. It's followed by this shattering sound, and I realize it's her teeth 
gashing together. Open, shut. Open and shut. Over and over again. I don't want to look at her, but part of me can't stop myself. I glance up to the window, and I see her eyes staring back at me. These two tiny black dots in a sea of white. My breathing stops. My pulse races. Just the two of us now, watching one another. I lean forward, interested. Much of that description could have been pulled from the Jagged Janus legend itself. The tiny black pupils, the rows of inhumane teeth, the gnashing jaws. I check off the features on my clipboard as I go. What happens then? I ask. Then? She speaks. It's only three words. It's enough to turn my dribble of his into a torrent. I write them down and circle the words three times. They're not familiar to me. Did she sound young or old? Describe her voice. He shakes his head, shuddering. The voice was quiet. Hard to hear. The words sounded like they'd pulled out of a wood chipper. The pronunciation was broken and unnatural. Like they'd been cut up by those... those teeth. Curious. I mutter. Continue. Her fingers reach up, tap the glass again. I chance another look, and all I can see is that terrible, serrated smile. I look away, but I know I need to watch her. I have to monitor her because who knows what this creature's gonna try. So I look back up. The smile's gone. So is the woman. It's just me. He puts his face in his hands and his shoulders quake with silent sobs. <laughs> A minute passes. It appears we've reached the end of his account. A harrowing experience, I say, giving my notes a final swipe with a pencil. I straighten up in my chair, flattening the front of my jacket and reaching out to shake his hand. On behalf of the facility, I'd like to thank you for taking the time to share it with us. His sobs taper off and he's quiet for a moment. Then he looks up from his hands, and his eyes are red, and his voice is shaking. It's not over. He says. There's more. I pull back my handshake. My apologies. Something else occurred? Yes. He says. The next few hours turn into a nightmare. This has been Jagged Janus Part 1. I am your host, Ethan Martin, and this episode was recorded at the Anderson Career Center. Thank you as always for listening, and make sure to tune in next time for part two.